The message that we have as a church and the message of Christianity is one of wonderful hope, one of glorious joy. And as we look around our world today, as we look around our friends maybe and our family, as we look at our own lives, we see, don't we, everywhere that there is pain. We see in lots of places that there is shame. We see in lots of places there are struggles, there is guilt, there is fear. And whatever we seem to do as a human race, we just seem to get deeper into that mess that we're in. And so all around there are struggles. All around we're trying to get out of this pit that we're in, as it were, but we just can't. And so it is clear to see that we, as humans, need salvation. We need to be saved. We need a saviour. The world is crying out for it. And as we look around everywhere, it is there, isn't it? The world is crying out for a saviour. And the message that we've got is that there is a saviour. Somebody who has come down into the pit, as it were, lifted us up, rescued us and saved us. And he's the one who we want to share with others. He's the one who brings hope to the darker situation. He's the one who brings forgiveness to the guilty. He's the one who um, takes away shame. He is the one who draws near to those who are lonely. He is the one who restores our relationship to the God who made us. Jesus is our hope. He is our saviour. He is the one we need. And he is the one we want to hold out to the world around us. He is the one we pray that our friends and family come to know. He's the one we want uh, to be heard all over this valley where God has placed us. That people would turn to him. But here's the problem. We know there's, a good, there's good news to share. We know our saviour, the Lord Jesus, is wonderful. But life is hard. Life is tiring. And, and what happens? Well, things get in the way. We get distracted. Other things become better than Jesus in our eyes. And we take our eyes off him. The trials come along and he doesn't seem so hope-filled as he once did. So how do we keep going, sharing this message, enjoying the Lord Jesus when life is so hard around us? Well, as we start this new term together in September, I wanted us just to pause this morning to look at this passage because it takes us to listen to the voice of Jesus, to hear how he feels about saving people, to, feel, to, to hear how he feels about you and me, about us as a church. And I believe as we look at him, as we look on who he is and what he's like, then whatever we're going through, suddenly things fall into place. Then we see he is worth sharing. Then we see why we can keep going. Because maybe this morning you are feeling excited about sharing this message with people. But maybe also you're feeling daunted. Maybe this morning you're feeling weary and cold towards Jesus. Maybe you're raring to go. However you feel, we all need a fresh view of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need to see him again and what he's done for us. Now this passage that we're going to look at really is a, a wonderful passage. It's a stunning passage that, as I said, shows us the heart of our Saviour. It shows us what he thinks about salvation. So what does uh, Jesus think about salvation? I wonder what you think he feels about salvation. How does, when God thinks about saving people, how does he feel? Because sometimes we can really think that we're a bit of a charity case. So maybe we feel like God is a bit like a big CEO 
um, you know, a, a leader of a big organization that kind of helps out people who are struggling now and again and feels sorry for us. And then once he's done his bit of saving, goes back to do what he was doing before. And he kind of puts up with us, and that's about it. Oh, there they are, they've messed up again. I'll go and I'll save them, I'll help them, and, and then back to it. Do we think of our saviour like that? Perhaps we think he's reluctant to save. He doesn't really want to save, but he better hide, because that's what he does. Well, no, in this passage we see what Jesus' real view of salvation is, and it is different to what we expect, different to what we uh, often think. Now, when we think about uh, Jesus and salvation, there's three things I want us to see this morning. We're going to look at his joy, we're going to look at his commitment, and we're going to look at his delight. His joy, his commitment, and his delight. And then we'll ask, well, how do we respond to, the, to this news? So the first thing is this, his joy. Let's have a look at the joy of Jesus. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, listen to these words. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Now, Isaiah is writing this 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah is writing to a people that are rebellious. They're a people who are apathetic. They really, they hate God because they've gone away from him. They've done their own thing. But here, Jesus, uh, Isaiah is speaking 700 years before Jesus. And he's saying there is a servant coming who's going to rescue. A servant who is going to save. And he speaks of the servant as, the servant is Jesus. And he's speaking of him in the future. This is what he's going to be like. And he is coming. He is coming to save and rescue. Now, if you turn back to Isaiah 61, the beginning of the chapter, listen to these words uh, here. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he sent me up to bind up the brokenhearted and pro proclaim liberty to the captives. I wonder if you recognize those words. Those are the words that Jesus, when he was in the synagogue one day, stood up and he read these words out, and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your presence. So he's saying, this is me. Isaiah was speaking of me. And so it's the same person speaking in verse 10. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he says, listen to what he says. I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. What is Jesus saying about himself? He is saying this. I am thrilled. I am excited because I've been given this job of salvation. I'm clothing myself with the garments of salvation. So I'm getting myself ready to save. And what is my feeling about it? I'm excited. I am joyful. Now in chapter 59 of Isaiah, we hear the Savior being spoken of there. And he's been clothed there. And listen to how he's clothed. He put on the righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He's getting ready to go into battle there. He's getting ready to save. And here we see, how does he feel? He can't wait to save. He can't wait to rescue. Now in this picture in verse 10, he's not getting ready for a battle. He's getting ready for something else. You see what? He has covered me, verse 10, the second half of verse 10, he's covered me with right, robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like priests with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So, uh, there's a theme of marriage that we'll pick up later on in this passage. But think on this for a moment. How does Jesus view going about saving people? He's as excited as a bridegroom on the day of his wedding. He just can't wait. He is excited, he is thrilled, uh, and he, he just can't wait to get going with it. 
This is how Jesus feels about saving and rescuing us from our sin and our need and our brokenness. How does he feel? Full of joy. Remember what Hebrews 12 says? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? What was the joy after the cross that he didn't have before? It was salvation. It was you, it was me. That's why he went. He is full of joy in thinking of saving us. Now, is that the Jesus that you have in mind? The Lord Jesus that we see here is one who's excited about salvation, and that means he is thrilled that you are saved. He's thrilled by it. He isn't reluctant. He isn't one that sees us as a charity case that deals with us a bit and then goes back to doing something else. No, he's one who is filled to the brim with joy at saving and rescuing you uh, from your sin and from your uh, failure. That's what he's like. And when we grasp that, do you see how that changes certain things? This week ahead, we have, will have opportunities to speak to Jesus and to pray to him. How does he feel about us? He rejoices over saving us. So how would he feel about his children coming, God, Father God, his children coming to the Father saying, I want to speak to you. How does he feel? He rejoices. He's thrilled that he could hear our voice. When he realizes that, that we've got a God who rejoices in salvation, then what does it mean when we go and share the news with other people? We're not twisting it when we pray for him to rescue and save people. We're not twisting his arm. He is thrilled by it. He's rejoicing in it. As we think on this as who our Savior is, maybe we've been wandering far from him. And maybe we're thinking he doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. Look at how he feels about salvation. Look at how excited he is about it. And that wins us back. We say, Lord, you, you want me to come back. Don't wander anymore. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not a believer in Jesus yet. And maybe you think, well, is he bothered with me? Would he really listen to me? Would he really want to save me? Look what we're told. He is clothed with the garments of salvation. He is raring to go just like a bridegroom or a bride on the day of their wedding. He is excited. He comes to you this morning and says, I want to rescue and save you. Don't push him away. Whatever you've done, whatever your background, he says, come to me. So the first thing we need to notice here is his joy. Why does Jesus feel about salvation? He is rejoicing. He is joyful about it. But the second thing I want us to see uh, about the Lord Jesus this morning is his commitment. His commitment. So look at chapter um, 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. So for the sake of Zion, Jerusalem, that is God's people, for the sake of the church, our Savior will not keep silent. He will not be silent. Now what is he speaking? What is he doing when he's speaking? Well, if you look down to verse uh, 6, we see the same phrase there um, uh, of these people, these watchmen, day and night will never be silent. And there we see that they're praying that God asks them to pray to not give him any rest, which we'll think about in a moment. And so the same phrase there is speaking about prayer. So it's helpful for us to look back and say, well, Jesus here, when it's talking about this servant, he there is saying, I will not keep silent. I will keep on praying for you. He will pray and he won't give up. But what is he praying for? He is praying for the righteousness of the God's people to go forth, to be seen. The righteousness of God's people to be seen. 
Now, what does that mean? What is it talking about? Well, he is praying for us to shine. He is praying for us to be transformed. He is praying for us to leave our sin and our failure and, and to live for him. He's praying for other people to be able to see that. And, and one day, that is going to be done totally. A Christian is somebody who one day we know will be made to be like Jesus. And so that's why in 1 John we hear the, these words. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. So he is praying that we would be kept until the day when we're made like him, and our righteousness that day will shine. His passion and his prayer, and he will not cease doing, is praying for us to keep going until the church is a thing of beauty in the last days. Verse 2, he tells us there, the nations shall see your righteousness. Now, that righteousness doesn't mean our good works. If you look elsewhere in Isaiah, we see that this righteousness in Isaiah 53 is a gift to us. It's the righteousness of the servant. And it says in Isaiah 53, he will make many to be accounted righteous. So he has given us this righteousness and he wants others to see the righteousness of Christ through us. So his prayer is that we would keep on going until that day where we are made like him and he will not cease to pray for us. So in a roundabout way of saying, do you see what the Savior is doing? He is committed to you and me, and he is committed to you to keep praying for you until you get to glory. That's what this passage is telling us. We have a Savior that is praying that you will keep going, that you will be made more and more like the Lord Jesus, that you will see sin, sin clinging on to you less and less, and that you'd be more like him, showing his love and his character shining out uh, from uh, from that so he's praying that what we will one day become we will see more and more of now and he is committed to it and if the lord jesus is committed to it that means it will happen if you jump down a bit to verses um uh, to verse three uh, verse two and three we see there end of verse two you shall be called by a new name verse three you shall be a crown of beauty verse four you shall be no more turned forsaken but you shall be called. You see, this will happen. It is guaranteed because the Lord Jesus is committed to it. In verse 8, he says, um, you will no more be in exile. Um, you won't be there in exile anymore, but I'll bring you home. See, Jesus is committed to you, and he won't let go. He won't be silent, and he won't let you down until the day we're in glory. Now, that is a real encouragement to us, isn't it? If we're feeling tired and weary, if we're feeling like, I don't know if I can keep going with this, it is just too hard, or there's too many struggles, or this has happened, that has happened, how can I keep going? Listen to these words this morning. Jesus will not keep silent, because he will keep praying for you until you get there. He will make sure that you get to glory. Now, perhaps this morning, you are struggling with sin and temptation, and it just seems to cling on so much to you. You can't seem to fight it anymore. But remember, the Lord Jesus is praying for you, praying for you, uh, and is passionately praying. He won't stop and cease praying for you. And take joy in that, that actually he is praying specifically for your needs and your struggles and your temptation. Hebrews 7 says that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. And since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just think on that for a moment that Jesus prays for you. This week, with whatever you're going to face, the Lord Jesus is praying for you. 
as a church is encouraging isn't it when we hear that other people are praying for us maybe we get a text message to say oh i've been i've been praying for you today or maybe you chat to someone on they ask about something and you know that's because they were they've been praying and how much of an encouragement as well is it to know that the lord jesus never ceases to pray for us sometimes we can say i'll pray for you and we forget but the lord jesus never does you are not on your own and he will keep you going to the end he who has started a good work in us will bring it through to completion now maybe you're here again and you're, you're not a christian you're thinking these things through and as you think about being a christian you think i don't think i could keep it up i'm not good enough i'm not strong enough i can't do it i but you see what this is telling us a christian isn't somebody who says i'm going to do this on my own there's somebody who can't somebody who needs the lord jesus to be praying for us we've got a savior who says i'm not going to let go i'm going to be with you every step of the way he didn't just say right now you're a christian get on with it he says right i'm going to keep hold of you until you get to heaven you're not on your own so if you feel like i, I couldn't keep this up and maybe you've got friends and family who say oh i could never do that because i just couldn't keep it up well we can say to them well i can't either <laughs> but we're not on our own we have a savior who is committed to us so what does jesus think about salvation well he is rejoicing he's delighting he's he's thrilled by the thought of saving us and not only that he prays for us he won't cease to pray for us until we're in glory he doesn't do half jobs you know often if i have a job a diy job in the house i'll do part of it and then i'll leave it for months and then i'll pick it up again jesus doesn't do half jobs it is the complete thing he does he is committed to you today until you shine in the righteousness like christ on the day at the end he is so he's a, a one of joy we see his joy we see his commitment last thing here before we think of what difference it makes in our life is this his delight let's think about his delight in us now these verses the next verses are mind-blowing and you, you you just couldn't make this up this is just so wonderful what it tells us about jesus's delight because he tells us how he views his people the ones he can't wait to save the ones he is totally committed to rescuing listen to how he feels about them in uh, chapter 4 you shall be called in verse 4 sorry chapter 62 the second half of verse 4 you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman so your son shall marry you and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your god rejoice over you and look at verse 3 as well you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your god how does jesus view you this morning if you're saved and if you're his how does he look on you now we might be able to grasp if he looked on us with pity now look at look at that person struggling along we might be kind of thankful for mercy from god but here he delights in you we're told he rejoices over you as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride now um i've said this before i know but next time you're in a wedding i know that the temptation is always when the bride walks down the aisle we look at the bride and we just fix our eyes on her and we see her and think, oh wow look at that you know oh look at her not that <laughs> look at her wow in all her beauty but the i find one of the lovely places to look as well is to look at the bridegroom and as you see his face light up 
as his bride walks down the aisle. You see the love that he has for her. You see that special moment and he realizes, wow, we're going to be together. And there's joy and there's often in that moment tears. There is something so powerful about that moment. You see, Jesus has given us uh, this picture of marriage to show us how much he loves us. That's why it's there. It's not the other way around. He says, oh, this is how much I love you and I'm going to give you this marriage to show it. How does Christ feel about you? As he looks upon you, his face lights up. He delights in you. And I know what many will be feeling in here this morning, but maybe that's true for others, but not for me. But here we see that for every Christian, you are the delight of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you that much. Now, the theme of marriage is a big one throughout the Bible, and you can see, can't you, that the f- at the beginning of the, uh, the Bible, Adam and Eve, they get married. That's where it starts, between Adam and Eve. But at the end of, of the Bible as well, what do we see? Well, it's the wedding ceremony of the, of the church and the bridegroom, Christ. So the Bible starts and finishes with marriage, such an important part of, um, of the Bible. And in Ephesians, as I said, God said, look, I've designed uh, marriage to show you, just so you could grasp something of my love towards you. And as we think through that theme of marriage, it really does get to the heart of the gospel. Uh, Martin Luther discovered this um, the truth of being saved by grace and being righteous with God, not based on um, our own works, but because of God's gift to us. And he wrote a book about it called The Freedom of a Christian. And in this, um, in the book, he, he, writes a, he tells a story. And he, he tells a story of a king who marries a prostitute. And so here they are on a wedding day. And in that moment where um, they get married, she says, all I have is yours. That means all my filth all of my poverty, all of my shame, I give to you. And then what happens? The bridegroom turns and says, yes, and all I am as a king, I give to you. All I have, I give to you. And in that moment, her status changes from becoming a prostitute who is maybe um, uh, looked down on and and, uh, despised by people around. She becomes a queen in that moment, because the king has given everything to her. He takes on her poverty, maybe her debt, all of that, and she gets his status. She gets his riches. And you see, that is the heart of the gospel. What do we do to become a Christian? We bring all of our shame, we bring all of our failure, and we say to the Lord Jesus, all I have, I give to you. And he takes it on the cross. And in that moment as well, he says, all I have, I give to you. My righteousness, my perfection is now yours. And in that moment, our status has changed from being rebellious in this to becoming children of God, becoming the bridegroom of, uh, the bride of Christ, married to the bridegroom. We are clothed in his righteousness. This is the gospel. This is at the heart of it. And so, When we think about marriage, it's a picture to us of that. So wonderful, so glorious to see his love for us. Now, every uh, wedding I go to, I don't know if you have this fear as well. Maybe it's just me, I'm not sure. But I fear that I read the invitation wrong. Yeah, and I'm not really invited. Do you ever get, and you, so you go into the, wherever, where the reception is, and there's place names, and maybe sometimes they have a list of everybody's names, 
And until I see my name on there, I have this nagging feeling that I, re I, shouldn't be, I should just be coming to the evening or maybe I shouldn't even be here. And you think, oh dear, what? And then you see your name and you think, right, I'm invited. But sometimes we can think about that, about God, can't we? Should I really be saved? With all of my failure, all of the things I get wrong? And, and maybe we think that's what it'll be like in heaven. I'll just, I'll sneak in the back. You know, every, all the other good Christians will be there but I'll just, I'll just sneak in. But look what we're told here. We're not just to sneak in. He delights in you. He loves you. Look at verse 3. You are a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. He treasures you. You are valuable to him. How valuable are you to him? How much did it cost him to have you? It cost everything. It cost his life. And he gave it all up for us. He sees you as precious, like a crown, like a jewel, to him here's a god who owns the whole universe here's a god whose the galaxies and the planets are his and yet he looks at you and says you're precious to me just like you would look at a precious crown or jewel god loves you that much now let that truth sink into your heart this morning perhaps you feel full of inferiority Maybe you not literally look around, but you think around this room now and you think, well, I'm not as good as them. I haven't done anything like they do. I can't do what that, I, and we just feel rubbish. We feel a failure. Maybe we compare ourselves to others and we feel useless then. Maybe you think you don't live up to the expectations of others or up to your expectations even, and you just feel, well, who am I? Maybe you look at your life and it hasn't turned out as you hoped. You've let people down maybe. You have failed in other ways. And we can just feel so low. But look today at how precious you are to God. Look at his opinion of you is. You are treasured. You are honored. You are loved. He delights in you. This week, as I mentioned earlier, we will have opportunities to speak to God. We will have opportunities to draw near to him. And can you see how this view changes it? We don't just read our Bibles and pray because that's what Christians do and we need to tick it off a list. But the one who loves you and delights in you invites you to come and listen to him. He invites you to come and talk to him. He invites us to pour out our hearts. Tell me about your day. Tell me what's gone on. What have you found hard today? What are you worried about about tomorrow? Pour out your heart to your loving Saviour. He's not reluctant to hear you. He's not saying, oh, here they are again. No, no, he loves to hear uh, our voices uh, speaking to him. And when we open the Bible, he gets to talk to us. Lord, would you speak to me today? Lord, would you help me to see what you want me to see in this passage? Lord, would you build me up through this? Would you challenge, would you encourage me? Talk to me today. That's what we get to do. That's the privilege that we have. So this week, when we have those opportunities, let's not see it as something to tick off a list, but something we can delight in and something that the Lord loves us to do. So maybe today you're feeling distant from him, cold. Look at how he feels about you. Stop looking at yourself. Look to your Savior. He delights in you. He is committed to you, and he is thrilled by the, the thought of saving you. Now, just to close, I wanted us to do four very quick things 
uh, four very short points about what difference this makes. And they begin, they all begin with the same letters, so hopefully we'll be able to remember them. What difference does this make? The first one is this. We need to receive this truth. We need to receive this truth. Here's a saviour excited about salvation. He's come to rescue. He's come to save. And that means we can't earn it. We're stuck in the bottom of the pit. We can't get ourselves out. And the Lord Jesus has come. And he has come to rescue us. We can't turn his head by an impressive week or performance. No, there's nothing we can do. We are out of it. And he has come to save and rescue us. And what do we need to do? We need to receive it. Accept it that you are saved by grace, not by works. So if you're a Christian this morning, have you slipped into thinking, I need to earn my position before God? He loves me based on what I've done. Well, no, we need to realize that, no, I failed. But Jesus has done it for me. Listen to how um, uh, one writer puts it. The sins of those who belong to God open the floodgates of his heart of compassion for us. The dam breaks. It's not our loveliness that wins his love. It's our unloveliness. There's something even in our failure that brings out the heart of God towards us. He sees we need him. So stop trying to impress him and receive his salvation. And if you're not a Christian, you need to accept that today. He's done it all. Stop thinking, once I sort myself out, I'll be okay. We'll never be okay. We'll never sort ourselves out. But Jesus comes to us in our mess and we need to receive it. Have you received it yet? If you haven't, make today the day where you know you have. The second thing is this. As in the light of what we thought about, let's repent. Let's repent. Sin is described in lots of different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's breaking a law. Uh, sometimes it's crossing a line or a boundary. Sometimes it's described as idolatry. All different ways of describing sin. But when we look at our relationship with God here, how does this passage refer or relate to you sin? What is it when we sin if we're married to the Lord Jesus? Well, when we sin and when we go to other idols, what are we doing? We're being unfaithful. Uh, we, are being, um, we are committing spiritual adultery. Because we're going after other gods instead of him. Because he's committed to us. We're married to him, as it were, and we're wandering away. We're being unfaithful. And do you see how that changes how we view sin? We're not just breaking a law, a distant law, but we're breaking the heart of God. And so this week, as we look on our sin, whatever that might be, whether it is bitterness, whether it is anger, whether it is struggles in different ways, whatever we're struggling with, Let's see that we're breaking the heart of God. So let's repent today. Let's see sin as ugly and flee from it. Lord, help me to see this breaks your heart. Let me not play about the things that hurt the one who delights in me this much. And do you know what? The Lord Jesus is ready to welcome us back. If you need a reminder of that, I encourage you to read the book of Hosea. If you haven't read the book of Hosea for a while, why not revisit it soon? Where it tells the wonderful story of this, the prophet Hosea and, and uh, God tells him to marry Goma, who's a prostitute, and who is unfaithful to him. And God tells Hosea again, go back to your unfaithful wife and, and look, love her. Buy her back. It's a wonderful story, but it shows the picture of us as adulterous people, spiritually, wandering away from Jesus. And yet he comes back time and time again, wanting to win us back, to win us with the cords of love. So repent, because it changes how we view sin here. The third thing is this. We need to rejoice. Let's think of what we have in Jesus. A saviour 
who is the, the, the savior, who's the savior of the universe, the one who is all powerful, all knowing, who owns the universe. He loves you dearly. He is committed to you and you are safe in his hands. You're forgiven once and for all. You have an eternity guaranteed with him and you are safe. How, what is our response to that? Surely our response must be, wow, let's rejoice. As we're going to sing in a moment, hallelujah, what a saviour. We need to rejoice in this, don't we? If any group of people in my stig, any kind of uh, group of people that meet together should be full of joy, it should be the churches that are holding on to the gospel, shouldn't it? This is what we have. This is who we have. Let's enjoy that together. Let's encourage each other. Uh, the reason we don't enjoy him is because we, find other th- we look to other things to bring us joy, which only Jesus can. So let's keep coming back to him and saying, Lord, I need you. Rejoice in him. As Tim mentioned last week, that the joy unspeakable that we're praying that we would know. So we rejoice. And the last thing in our response to this is we repeat it. We repeat it. In verses 6 and 7, there's a lovely moment there where it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the, the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise on the earth. What is he saying? There is a group of people who need to pray. And don't give God any rest until uh, his kingdom is established. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come. We are to pray that this message gets out. And God will use us to get this message out. And we will give him no rest. So what is prayer meeting about? It's about giving God no rest until he does that. And he invites us to do that. He asks us to do that. We'll be thinking a bit more about that on Wednesday night, uh, digging a bit deeper into those verses. To be watchmen, to be calling on the Lord and not to give him any rest. We pray for boldness to share. We pray for as uh, the group startup and those that have carried on as well continue uh, this term. Lord, would you rescue and save? Would your kingdom come? Let's pray for people to be saved and let's give him no rest until he does it. So let's this week uh, remember uh, to receive the grace of God, to repent, to rejoice, and to repeat. Let's pray together uh, before we sing our last song. Time and time again in the Bible, Lord, we come to passages that we just wouldn't believe unless they were there. That you have this great love for us, that you uh, delight in us, and Lord, that you call us to follow you. We pray, Lord, that you would help these truths to sink deep into our hearts and into our lives. And Lord, we pray that many more will come to know and trust in you, even as a result of, um, of us being able to share it as we enjoy you and share you with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.